Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. On today's episode of the podcast, I have the distinct pleasure and honor of interviewing Dr. Joanne Borgstein. She is currently the medical director at Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital Wellesley Outpatient Center. She is an associate professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at Harvard Medical School. She's considered one of the forefront experts in the area of regenerative medicine within the field of physical medicine and rehabilitation. I could probably go on and on, but uh, without further ado, I'll lead us into the uh, interview with Dr. Borgstein. So hello everyone, I'm here with Dr. Borgstein and um, we've just had the pleasure of um, having her lecture to both the Baylor and UT departments of PM&R, all the residents and uh, several of the faculty were present. She gave us a little bit of an overview on the current state of regenerative medicine and biologics, a very, very kind of um, broad overview on PRP, prolotherapy and uh, stem cells as well. Um, what the current state of the literature is, what available techniques are out there. Um, so we're bringing you this podcast for residents, for attendings, for fellows, um, also for patients and for families and anybody that's just curious on uh, musculoskeletal medicine and some of the treatments that are out there for, I just learned this term today, but for the tweeners, the uh, patients that maybe they, they don't have a perfect joint but they also don't have such a pathologic joint that their only option is surgery. So um, sometimes those patients are the ones that are, are most desperate to find, you know, what's the most effective treatment? What really can I do to improve my function, my quality of life? So um, I'm gonna turn the floor over just a little bit to Dr. Borgstein before, um, before I ask a little bit of some directed questions. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure to, having you. To get to know my Houston colleagues. <laughs> I, first time I've ever been to Tier. Okay. And it's a very impressive place and a good group of residents. And um, I think some of the take-home messages is you, we just need to keep an eye on the literature. The the research, fortunately, is growing quite quickly. Okay. Uh, and there are some good indications for prolotherapy. I think the strongest of which the literature supports would be lateral elbow. Okay. Um, and for the uh, joints, the knee joint, the sacroiliac, and the CMC joints of the hands okay. uh, seem to be well supported uh, with literature. Um, and for PRP, might be a good uh, selection for knee arthritis. Okay. So very good data to support that. Uh, just the position piece just came out. Uh, from journal arthroscopy okay. uh, supporting its use in knee arthritis uh, again lateral elbow lateral elbow and epicondylosis is uh, is quite well supported in the literature and we are 
just getting better studies coming in on the stem cell concentrates like the BMAC. Okay. Uh, so again, probably strongest literature now is on knee arthritis. Certainly it's being used more broadly okay. as this all is. Um, but uh, you're in pretty, pretty good ground if you stick with the knee okay. um, and then some of the other tendons. So let's say, let's say I had a patient walk in a clinic and they wanted to speak to, let's say I'm just a general practitioner, you know, and I want to educate my patients. I want to educate myself on what treatments are out there. Those were the three that we focused on in today's mm-hmm. lectures. Is it fair to say that you know, prolotherapy, PRP, and stem cell are the three major subtypes of regenerative slash biologic treatments that are available? Absolutely. And where you get the stem cells can vary. Okay. Right now, I mean, there are ways to get them intraoperatively. Okay. Right, from uh, the synovium or from tenocytes. But in outpatient practice, we get them either from bone marrow or from adipose. Okay. uh, Harvesting adipose tissue. And we just concentrate the tissue, clean it up a little bit. We don't um, uh, grow them or expand them in culture in the United States. Okay. Um, so those are, you know, you have to sort of decide where you're going to get your material from. Okay. There's also some uh, newer products that are from amniotic products and chorionic products um, that are on the market now uh, that have been sort of recently on the market in the last couple of years. Uh, need a bit more research on that though. Okay, so um, that's on the stem cell side. It, you're, you're mentioning amniotic and things like that. So obviously not all of the stem cell treatments are autologous. What I mean by that um, for our not so medically inclined population that's listening is um, everything doesn't directly come from you. So are there, um, are you saying that there's treatments out there that we're using stem cells from other sources, from from yeah, the lab? Yeah. So good question. Good okay. question. So the uh, prolotherapy uses dextrose or concentrated, different concentrations of sugar water, okay. um, which is comes from the outside, purified, sterile, and all. Um, the PRP is strictly derived from your own blood. Okay. Um, so that's your own autologous or your own tissue. Okay. The stem cell products mm-hmm. uh, include the bone marrow concentrates. We get that from the iliac crest, the top of your hip bone. And directly from the same patient. And directly so. from the same patient. Got There's it. no mixing and matching. Okay. The adipose, the fat, mm-hmm. comes from the very same patient. It's concentrated, it's, it's not, I'm sorry, it's cleaned, it's kind of broken up into smaller uh, particles and then injected. Okay. Comes from the very same patient, re-injected the very same day. The products that are off the shelf, that mm-hmm. are derived from outside tissue, from exogenous tissue, um, or the amniotic products, okay. and they are actually not ones that contain any live stem cells. Okay. They're closer to platelet-rich plasma. Okay. So just uh, you know to be clear on that, and that comes from, you know, pools from other other sources other than your own. So just to just to give like a very quick quick uh, brief overview on those three treatments and and kind of the concept behind the three. My rudimentary understanding is that with prolotherapy, what you're essentially trying to do is you're injecting some sort of sclerosing or irritating type agent and trying to kickstart the immune system locally at a particular place to try to potentially fix some sort of tendinopathy or soft tissue or even sometimes bone disorder. Is that is that? That is correct. Okay. That is correct. So the needling effect okay. becomes very important. Okay. How you activate where the tendon or ligament attaches to the bone okay. and kind of 
irritate, if you will, uh, needle the periosteum of the bone in the attachment sites okay. is a very important aspect of that treatment. Okay. And this was actually something that, <laughs> this is a question that I brought up during your lecture. You're mentioning needling the bone. Is mm -hmm. this similar to the concept that uh, some orthopods will do during you know, either knee arthroscopy or knee, knee, uh, knee ligament reconstructions where they microfracture maybe the... Uh, the contact surface of the of the patella itself. It, are we essentially trying to do the same thing when we're right. we're piercing the periosteum to try to stimulate yeah. some growth? Yeah, it's kind of peppering along the attachment of the peri of the tendon or ligament to the periosteal attachment okay. on the bone. In your opinion, it's more important. These techniques, these needling techniques, are more important with prolotherapy or across the board with all three types of. Major with, types of treatment. It, with prolotherapy and platelet-rich plasma, okay. I, I do generally the same technique. Um, the difference is some of the platelet-rich plasma-oriented techniques actually do some more needling um, of the tendon itself okay. um, that we don't generally do for the prolotherapy. Okay. And that way of injecting and way of approaching a tendon um, is called percutaneous needling or percutaneous needle tenotomy. Okay. But we generally don't do that with prolotherapy. Prolotherapy okay. is at the attachment okay. and not needling the substance of the tendon. And just to be clear, the the research which you know, you're a big proponent of, I'm a big proponent of, basically our entire field is a big proponent of figuring out what are the proper indications, where is it that these things work. They don't all necessarily work for the same types of pathology. Is, is that safe to say? That's true. There's okay. overlap, okay. Um, but we're trying actually to sort that out now and figure out exactly what works best in which clinical um, circumstance, in which joint, how should it be delivered, how often should it be treated. Okay. Um, I, think, I think more research needs to be done, but clearly there's overlap. Okay. You can approach an arthritic joint with any one of those treatments, actually. Okay. Um, you're saying you started off by saying that the research is becoming more robust for those of us that are inclined to research um, what would you recommend you know somebody kind of put themselves in a certain mindset when they're trying to research these types of regenerative techniques um, do we have to be more uniform with the way that we do these things um, what what is it that's making the studies more robust now versus 10 years ago um, that's an excellent question. I think the main thing is, uh, first of all, we need to all talk the same language. Okay. And there is a nice um, effort by some colleagues in the field um, to identify ways of being specific about what you inject, especially with, with the platelet-rich plasma. Okay. So, for instance, what the platelet concentration is, what the white blood cell count is, high, is it low? Red blood cell, you know, is it high hematocrit? Is it low? Has the platelet uh, uh, product been activated or not? Was ultrasound guided use guidance used during the procedure? Was needling and needle tenotomy used during the procedure? Okay. Um, what type of post-procedure rehab protocols are being utilized in the in the group? Um, so I think all of that has been it was starting to be standardized in most research trials where it wasn't. Okay. 10 to 12 years ago, so that, that has helped a lot. Um, as we go forward, um, we also probably want to, we want to standardize what we inject. Okay. 
right? How many stem cells are actually in that soup okay. that you're actually injecting? What's in the product? You wouldn't give a medication without a dosage. Okay. So those kinds of things are going to definitely move us forward. Okay. So I'm taking a step back with this question, but um, we talked about you know the sclerosing agents, the dextrose that you mentioned with prolotherapy and with stem cells. There's so many different types of mm-hmm. places you can harvest them from, and some of them are sounded like it's more the growth factors that you're relying mm-hmm. on, whereas some of them it sounds like in that you know biologic soup mm-hmm. you're relying, you're hoping that some of the stem cells themselves, these pluripotential or multipotential cells, mm-hmm. um, actually you know turn into particular cells that you're looking mm-hmm. for chondrocytes and whatnot. But with that other treatment, platelet-rich plasma, conceptually, what is it that separates that from prolotherapy and from stem cells? What what are we trying to do with platelet-rich plasma that's different from the other two? Gotcha. Um, first of all, again, there's overlap. Okay. And I think um, there are overlap mechanisms of action. Mm-hmm. So a couple of the main paradigms for PRP to work include the release of growth factors okay. from the alpha granules, and those could be like vascular endothelial growth factors, that could be nerve growth factors, um, angiogenic growth factors. So that is released. Um, some of that, to a lesser degree, has been shown in prolotherapy, but not quite as robustly, so that's an important mechanism. Uh, two, there seems to be an anti-inflammatory component to the PRP. Again, some of this is seen with stem cells, um, so this is important as well. Those, those two components of it, uh, we haven't proven yet that we regenerate the tissue that we're hoping to heal. Okay. I've certainly seen tendinopathies and partial tears improve and heal. I've had patients with bone marrow and, and slow to heal or non-unions, for instance, a cuboid fracture okay. uh, recently. But we shouldn't yet be telling our patients that we know what we inject is going to signal those cells to recreate or to um, enhance the actual cartilage matrix that's there or put more cartilage back. We have not proven that yet. Okay. So we have to be a little careful about what we what we know to be true scientifically and what we hope to be true okay. medically. Okay. So a lot of this is, you know, cellular mechanics and cellular restructuring is what we're hoping for. But at the end of the day I think probably the most important thing is clinically, how how the patients feel and how how their function responds. Um, as opposed to classic treatments from, let's say, 20, 30 years ago, steroids. Steroids, once, once they, they became popular, they were kind of used for almost everything. Oh, Achilles tendon issues, low back issues, cervical issues, um, wrist issues, elbow issues. Um, is the literature now showing that these particular regenerative treatments are more effective? Um, and if so, for which particular... I know I'm asking you these very long-winded questions, but um, in your professional opinion, for which particular treatments? You mentioned the lateral epicondyle. Mm -hmm. Um, What treatments are regenerative medicine showing a significantly longer-term beneficial effect for than steroids? In terms of research and what's supported, certainly the lateral elbow. Okay. And there have been a couple of studies looking at longer-term outcomes comparing steroid injection to platelet-rich plasma injection. Okay. And it seems like the crossover time is about six months. Okay. 
In the first month, people are going to feel more comfortable after a steroid injection. Okay. Um, it takes a while for the platelet-rich plasma to optimize um, its improvement. But about six months, the beneficial effect of the steroid is gone, and the PRP is still improving till about a year or so, and it's more durable. Okay. And that's, that's certainly been shown by studies, especially ones from England uh, that supported that. The recent study that came out just published this week in JAMA, mm -hmm. looking at uh, cartilage in long-term triamcinolone injections of the knee mm -hmm. compared to saline, and showed um, more advanced cartilage loss and degeneration in the steroid group. I think, I think we're getting to the point where it's pretty well recognized that there's no long-term benefit to injecting steroid into joints for the cartilage, although there's short-term pain relief and anti-inflammatory benefit really doesn't seem to be long-term and actually might clearly be detrimental to okay. the cartilage. We have not fortunately seen that with the regenerative injections. Um, we, there have been some studies looking at slight improvement of cartilage, like a recent prolotherapy study. Um, there have been others looking at sort of maintenance. There was a study a few years ago by Steve Sampson, who followed patients out for a year. Okay. There's another one that came out of New York, observational studies. Um, so I think we have to, again, try to prove this. Uh, we still have a little more ways to go on this one. Okay. Um, but I think the lateral elbow and the knee are the best study for these two paradigms. Okay. And we're finding that there's even um, some anti-inflammatory effect you mentioned? Correct. With some of... So with more research, do you think it's if we find the right combination of, you know, that biologic soup, for mm -hmm. lack of a better term, um, perhaps we can find something that'll give that beneficial short-term anti-inflammatory effect that, that is probably what's responsible for the efficacy of steroid injections mm -hmm. without, you know, so much of that detrimental down the road. If, if you're, you know, receiving steroid injections every three months or every so-and-so many weeks for mm -hmm. two years, um, do you think that regenerative medicine shows some promise Yes, okay. absolutely. It, 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 what it does, it actually inhibits some of the pro-inflammatory cytokines and metalloproteinases that lead towards a more rapid um, apoptosis of the chondrocytes okay. uh, in the joint. So both, again, we need more research on mechanism, but it, it certainly seems that's the case for the bone marrow concentrates and some of the stem cell products. I still think the mechanism of action is, is not 100% clarified, okay. and we're going to need to figure these things out a bit better. Okay. So during your presentation, you used several cases, and I myself am a fan of cases. I feel like you know knowledge is one thing you need to be able to apply it. So I'm going to present you just a particular, very simple case. Let's say you have a 58-year-old male who you know was a college athlete, had an ACL reconstruction 20 years ago, now has been having knee pain, wants to get back to uh, just his recreational sports, mm -hmm. but his knee pain's kind of limiting him. We find that he's got some osteoarthritis in that knee. He comes to you and he says, hey, I've seen you know, a particular specialist who told me I think I need, you know, you could use a knee replacement um, to, to calm down your pain. But this particular patient doesn't want to have you know, something so severe just yet. <coughs> Um, how would you advise this, this patient? You know, what, what do you think would be the best route of treatment for this patient? Well, I always, um, I know it goes without saying because I'm talking to folks in sports medicine and in physical medicine for whom we cherish 
our functional approach. Right. Um, so I certainly would start uh, with some lifestyle coaching, make sure their body mass index was good, their mechanics are as well aligned if they have significant varus or valgus abnormality, uh, that their strength is good, that they've had good physical therapy, that we've looked at their sports and see what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they might be modified. So assuming we've been through all that okay. and they're still not where they want to be functionally and you wanted to think about a biologic approach, okay. I, you know, again, you, you have the three buckets, the three major buckets. Um, prolotherapy generally is done in a series of four to six visits or sessions one month apart. So it's a little bit of a longer term okay. uh, process and some folks may not be able or want to return to you that many months in a row. <laughs> so that's something to be considered, although it works well and there's little downtime and it's well tolerated. Um, I think it's reasonable, but practical things presiding, it's not generally where I start with patients who, who can't get to you that often. Uh, PRP has a strong evidence base to support it and a very reasonable place to start. Lower inflammatory, lower hematocrit, lower white blood cell count would be important there because okay. we don't want a pro-inflammatory PRP right. uh, product. Um, Are the treatments shorter term than six months? Is it less of a commitment? Generally, you know, again, practice variation is what it is. We start with one visit okay. and we wait four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks and see how the athlete's doing, the patient's doing. If they're progressing well, we're done. Okay. We're just going to keep watching and see how they do. If they come back, I usually teach it if they're less than about 80% improved by their global rating, whatever that means for sports, for function, and we track their functional outcomes and they're not where they need to be, but they've kind of leveled off in their improvement, then we'll add a second injection. Okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with starting with a bone marrow concentrate there. It's, it's a bit more invasive okay. um, than just starting with platelet-rich plasma, so it's not unreasonable to do so. You have to have this conversation with your athlete, with your patient, but it's certainly reasonable to start with a less invasive process, have good, good data to support it, start with one visit, have appropriate rehab, um, and see how they do over the next few weeks to a couple of months. Okay. And coupled, obviously, as you mentioned, so, you know, you would have tried conservative treatment as much as possible, try to, you know, improve function in those ways. Um, try to maybe correct any underlying issues with biomechanics and the patient comes you intervene do you also make sure that the patient has the appropriate functional and physical medicine treatments immediately afterwards absolutely we have a team a fabulous team of six physical therapists okay. who've been you know following the literature working with our physicians and we've, we've come up with in, most of the protocols are similar okay. in that you're kind of going to take it a little bit easy in the beginning. You'll be a little bit sore. You may even have a slight inflammatory response. Um, we give a little bit of a protected weight-bearing status. It used to be we put people on crutches, but we don't anymore. Okay. We let them weight bear as tolerated. We just unload the joint. And we start with light cardiovascular exercise basically within the first week and then progress them from there. And everyone will progress at a different rate. Okay. But we usually start with that, and then a week or two later, some resume strengthening. And if it's a sport, usually we hope for back to sport within about six weeks. But some people progress much more quickly and others more, more slowly. But you really need to have that component, not okay. only to make sure they're well rehabbed, mm -hmm. make sure they don't just 
you know, feeling pretty good at week one, and then they just go, you know, double black diamond skiing <laughs> and come back to you all swollen. Yeah. So you need to progress them as well. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm sure that I can continue asking question after question after question. We can sit here for hours. Um, are there any pearls that you want to, you know, share with us, you know, just in regard, in general, in the current state of regenerative medicine before we close? Sure. If I had sort of one paradigm, it sort of sounds like mom and apple pie, uh, but I'm a grandma, so I can do, I can do that. Quite <laughs> a young grandma. Yeah, I am actually. Um, um, I think the key key thing is to hold on to your basic principles of rehabilitation and sports medicine, and not make everything about the injection. It's just one tool. So really taking a comprehensive look at the athlete or the patient or you know the grandma who wants to stay functional, doing your standard rehab approach, maximizing their nutrition, their sleep, their readiness, their weight, their body mass index, their commitment to exercise is all part of the prep for this mm-hmm. and the lifestyle issues that need to become part of your, your, your paradigm of treatment. And the second thing with that is to be very as precise as possible with your diagnosis. Okay. And if you're unclear, is it the knee joint? Is it uh, has bursa or tendon region? Is it the collateral ligaments? Is it the hip referring to the knee? To be as good and precise with your physical history, physical and diagnostic imaging supplementation. And if there's any doubt take a little bit of anesthetic and do a diagnostic injection before you commit people uh, 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 to this process. Um, And lastly, I would just say a lot of patient education. People go on the internet, our folks go on the internet, they come in with ideas that we have a magic potion that's Mm going to bring back their cartilage and and, uh, sort of be honest with what we know and where we're at and what we can treat and what we can and when someone needs a joint replacement and, and when you can otherwise really help them. So I think those are the three sort of tenets okay. of good practice to which a regenerative or orthobiologic injection is just one one factor. Okay. There's a saying that actually, you know, when you're saying, oh, I'm going to give you, you know, the mom or the grandma advice, <laughs> there's a saying in Spanish that my parents used to tell me, actually, some of the physicians here, because we have a pretty heavy uh, Puerto Rican contingent here, um, there's a saying in Spanish that literally translated, it means when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I guess what you're saying is kind of be careful with that. It's just one tool in your toolbox and don't don't let go or ignore all the other skills that you've gained through your training and every, you know, the rest of your understanding. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Dr. Bergstein, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. My pleasure. Thank you for having, you know, having us coming and speaking. Thank you. I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. 
We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.